Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 33 of the Four Feathers podcast. I'm your host, Johnny Nani, joined tonight by Tony Marchese. Let's crack them and get caught up on the Hawks. Perfect. Perfect. How you doing, Don? I'm doing great, Johnny. How about yourself? Hey, I'm good, man. Um, we got a first win under our belt. Uh, I thought it was going to you know, never happen. I was getting a little overreactionary on the Four Feathers podcast Twitter account after Saturday night's game since I was there. Um, but it, it was good to get a win under the belt and uh, look like they play a more complete 60 minutes. So that has me feeling good. Yeah, definitely. And uh, Ron and I uh, got the pleasure of breaking that first win of the season down over on Blackhawks on tap. Um, and I'm sure you're going to talk a little bit about that in a second. But Johnny, it was a rough start to the year um, and, and getting that first win underneath your belt. Like you said, man, that feels good. And you had the pleasure of being in attendance to that one. Yeah, yeah it was good. I was there on both Saturday night and Monday night. So um, after the disappointment that I experienced on Saturday night, being up, you know, two after the first and then uh, pissing it away into overtime and then uh, being there Monday night and watching that, uh, the win, the final horn go off and they're celebrating on the ice. Um, it makes you feel good when you actually, you know, stay around and want to hear the three stars that are announced. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I haven't had the, uh, the experience, the in-game experience either with the, with the new scoreboard, Johnny. Um, I, what are your thoughts on that thing? Just right off the bat, uh, right off the bat, because, that thing looks awesome. Yeah. So, I mean, I know there were like some people on uh, Twitter and I had seen some comments about it complaining that, you know, it's like too obnoxious and too big and whatever. Um, I, I think it's fine. I like it a lot. Uh, there's a lot going on and they can obviously put more stats up there and uh, more just helpful things to have up there while you're watching the game. So um, I, I like it a lot. And another really cool feature is that when they score now, there's like steam that shoots out of the bottom of it, you know, for like an extra effect, like as that's, a goal horse. That's going really off. cool. So, that's yeah, really cool. It, on top. It's almost like fireworks for the White Sox. You yeah. Get some steam effect now. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, it, it looks really sweet when they do because, you know, I sit up in the 300 level. I'm in 324 for my 21 game plan that I have. So, uh, when I'm sitting up there, I got a perfect view of it and I try to take like, you know, video of it and post it on uh, the Twitter account and to our Instagram. So, uh, the fans at home can see that as well. So, uh, I hope everyone's able to get out to the UC and, uh, you know, experience that. I know uh, you and I are kind of planning on uh, Sunday night. So, hopefully, we get another win under our belt then. You know, I'm just really excited to scream "I love steam" when they score a goal. I think that's yeah. gonna that could that could be a thing. Um, you know, just like I love fireworks, I might I might become a big steam guy. Yeah, huge steam guy here. Huge um, steam guy. Yeah. So uh, you'd you'd hinted at something a little bit earlier. A little housekeeping notes before we actually get into the nitty gritty of this early Blackhawk season. Um, you had mentioned Blackhawks on tap postgame shows. So that is our new show. Last year when we were doing this, if you're a Four Feathers listener from last season, uh, Four Feathers podcast was kind of independent, uh, kind of our own independent venture. But uh, Tony and I are also on a number of White Sox projects together. So um, if you're unfamiliar, on tap sports network came together. That's on tap sportsnet.com. Uh, you can go and check that out and see what it's all about. But essentially, you know, we strive to cover every Chicago team. And uh, Tony and I focus in on the Blackhawks here. And then Obviously, we have Ron Luce and Patrick Comiskey. So uh, part of when we started that, part of what we wanted to do was create an alternative postgame show because, uh, you know, just fans telling it like it is, cracking some beers, uh, instant reaction to the game. We did it all season for White Sox, and now we are carrying it over into Blackhawks season. And I know you've been on all of them so far now. 
and uh, I've been I've had the pleasure of being on three, I believe. Yeah, I think I've been on three. So then, uh, then Ron Luce was on obviously the first one when we were all together, which was a great time uh, despite the outcome. And then uh, Patrick Kremisky is yet to be on one, but I'm sure he will when his work schedule allows. So well, he um, was on the first. He was on the first one. Yeah, and we had the full Four Feathers crew. That's true. Um, yeah. Here, so he was on one of them, um, and hopefully we get him on that show um as often as we possibly can we like to keep it rotating somewhat but i would imagine uh the three names that you will hear or voices that you will hear are johnny myself and ron lewis just like you hear on this show and then uh pat as he's available yeah so blackhawks on tap you can go and find that uh on apple Podcasts, spotify google podcasts uh it's up on all of those and um also if you go to the on tap sportsnet website and click on the podcast tab all of our podcasts are there for every single thing that we run so uh you can go and find it in there and listen right in your browser you can do it from mobile do it from the desktop whatever so uh really easy to find them we'll be tweeting these out from the four feathers pod twitter account sharing them from there so you don't need to go and follow a different thing uh because it is the same crew uh, putting these out. We figured, uh, you know, uh, we'll just keep it all consolidated in one place. But Four Feathers rolls on. This is episode 33 tone. Uh, we got some news to get into um, now that we're past the housekeeping notes. So Kirby Doc was assigned to Rockford for a conditioning stint on Saturday. Uh, he started that, was quiet in his first uh, showing uh, for the Ice Hogs then. But um, good to see him moving around. He put on a really nasty dangle that, um, yeah, he did. that, that they uh, shared a video of. So uh, it was good to see. Good to see him moving uh, smoothly because, you know, it was a big hit. I was watching that prospect tournament, and when he took that hit into the boards, uh, it rattled him. Uh, that's for sure. You know, just a plug Minnesota wild prospect trying to give it to him. But, you know, Minnesota's even uh, lower than us in the standings right now. So I guess you get what you get. Um, anyway, uh, beyond that, Carl Dahlstrom, uh, who had signed an extension towards the end of last season, uh, he was placed on waivers and then claimed by Winnipeg before the season. They had a little bit of a shortage on their blue line. So they picked him up. Uh, adios, Carl Dahlstrom. Did not really think he was going to get all that many minutes. Um, just with, with the way that this thing is looking when everybody's healthy. So um, Carl Dahlstrom no longer at the Blackhawks. He is now a Winnipeg Jet. Um, Dennis Gilbert, speaking of our back end, Dennis Gilbert came up for one game, that game in Prague. Uh, you know, he had been traveling with the team, and then they technically signed him to Rockford. But when they realized both Connor Murphy and Kelvin Hahn weren't going to be able to go for the first game, Gilbert stepped in, played that game, and looked rough. So his cup of coffee was just one brief game, um, and I think it's the right decision that he went back to Rockford, obviously, because Murphy was healthy for the home opener. Um, when Kelvin Hahn finally uh, suited up on Saturday night, uh, Slater Cuckoo was the odd man out, and that was also the right call because that Gilbert Cuckoo pair in the first game was what, you know, really helped do the Blackhawks in. And then um, he just does not look like a NHL caliber defenseman at this point in time. So um, that's Slater Cuckoo's uh, deal. And then also for, for a lineup standpoint here, Brendan Perlini finally drew into the lineup on Saturday after being a scratch for those first two games uh, because Alexander Nylander had some defensive uh, problems on uh, last Thursday night, so uh, Perlini drew in, only played 749, and then was scratched again on Monday for Nylander. So um, early just roster observations for you, Tone? You know, it, this is it's kind of a mixed bag at this point in time because we've seen some great periods of Blackhawks hockey. If we break this down just out of the games and we go period by period, you've seen some very dominant, you know, high possession, high scoring chance uh, periods out of this Blackhawks team. And then you've seen some periods where they just seemingly don't exist. Um, 
So, you know, very mixed bag. We finally saw them put together something consistent in their first win on Monday night, which was a good showing. Um, you know, I, I want to go back a little bit, and if we break this down, goaltending, defense, and offense, the, the goaltending seemed to be a little suspect with Corey Crawford, at least initially. And it's good to see him taking a step in the right direction with the win on Monday night. He looked lights out. We had vintage Corey Crawford out there. Um, Robin Lehner got his first start. I believe that was on Saturday. Johnny, you were you yep. were in uh, attendance for that one. I think he looked really good. I think he looked oh, exactly like you it, would have expected him to. That game would have been out of hand in the second period if it weren't for Robin Lehner and that. Yeah, so I, I think that the, the Hawks have a really strong goalie tandem. Um, if Crawford can stay healthy, you're talking about a team with two number one goalies. Um, yep. And especially if you're getting, if you're getting uh, that kind of Corey Crawford effort that you saw on Monday night, really good shape there. Defense, you talked about it a little bit in the news section. You started out this season with Dennis Gilbert and Slater Cuckoo, and now you've got a much more formidable six guys that can play shutdown defense, and we saw that on Monday night too. Can they stay consistent with that? That's going to be the question. Now, if we turn it over to the offense – a lot of lot of mixing it up early on from uh, from Coach Calton, and I'm kind of surprised by that. But at the same point in time, I think it needed to be done. We finally had some lines rolling, a lot of scoring from the bottom six, and that's helped them get that first win. I want to see that first line start rolling, though, Johnny. It, that's the one that I'm most concerned about right now. I don't know about you. Yeah, I want them all to be rolling, to be honest with you, Tony. But uh, just one thing on that, when you talked about bottom six, I'll get into the top line in a minute here. But uh, with the bottom six, it's such a nice, refreshing, uh, you know, sight to see. I'll say that with uh, guys like Ryan Carpenter down low. And, uh, you know, obviously you got Drake Kajula, who's been kind of slotted up and, you know, down a little bit so far still. But just having scoring come from those bottom lines that was non-existent last year i know alexander nylander played on the top line to start but in the game uh on monday night when he did score his second goal of the season um he was on the fourth line there and he only got like what was it like 8 20 of ice time uh, i believe that's what he what he played because uh he was getting benched uh, only took like a couple shifts in the first period and barely even saw him in the second and then uh when he got his chance in the third uh he capitalized it was a nice little kind of break up play in the middle of the ice by Ryan Carpenter and then uh, puck fluttered loose. Nylander uses his speed and a nice little move to uh, get it by Mike Smith there. So uh, that was good to see from him. But uh, going back to your point about the first line, yeah, um, one of my notes in here was uh, Jonathan Taves is yet to crack the score sheet. And people are wondering why does he need help? You know what? He was so good last year. Um, Oh, wait, excuse me. No, Jonathan Taves does have an assist. Um, Yeah. but anyway, n- nothing that was really impactful for the first three games. And um, it is definitely a little bit of a concern to me because I don't want to completely take away, take apart a line that's working, like we saw in the San Jose game. That third line of Dominic Kubelik, Brandon Saad, and uh, David Camp was the only line that was, well, not only line, but they were the best line of either team by far in that first period and the scoring chance showed it the possession number showed it so uh breaking them up and putting Kubelik with up on that top unit with Taves uh did not work out because that unit was bad overall then uh for the remainder of the game that they played together so um I don't know exactly what the answer is here Tone but I, I do also think that there is a Jonathan Taves is gonna have a breakout performance at some point here I do I know you can't just pull uh you know uh rabbit out of the hat here but uh Jonathan Taves is a very special 
special player. And I think that, um, you know, the with the conditioning regiment that he changed to before last season, I would assume that he would have kept on that this offseason. And uh, it's going to happen at some point. But, um, but any any thoughts from your end on how to fix it, maybe? You know, and I, this is something I talked to with uh, Sean from Sean and Maya the other day. I think he needs that consistency, and I don't know who that's going to come from. You know, he doesn't have the same type of line that he had a few years ago when it was, you know, Saad, Taves, Hosa. And, you know, one of the things I think that has really hurt Jonathan Taves is not having that consistency up there on line one because you, you knew what line one was for the longest time. Um, and then you bring Breck you bring back Brandon Saad to play with Taves. At least that's what the rumors were. And now where, where's Brandon Saad? He's down. He's a third line guy. So I think Jonathan Taves needs to get that chemistry with his line mates and find a, uh, a good, you know, uh, consistent line that he can work with. You saw it a little bit last year with Dominic Cahoon, um, you know, and then uh, the other guy that that's been up there uh, in Drake Kajula I think I think that pair for some reason works. I know Drake Kajula is not your prototypical um, number one line guy, but he seems to be effective when he's up there with with Taves. And I just think that there needs to be a, a better scoring threat up there with him. And I don't know who that's going to be. I thought that it could be uh, Dominic Kubalik, but I, I don't know if that's him either. So it's just at this point in time, you got to plug and play and try and figure out where you're going to get some consistency. You saw this with coach Q and the line blender and Carlton's kind of done the same thing. Try and mix it up and figure out what's effective and what works. You know, I think like we said a little bit earlier, getting the scoring out of the bottom six, that was non-existent last year has really helped cover up the, the deficiency that you're getting out of your first line. Yeah, 100% tone. Um, that, that was just why I hinted at that uh, at first, uh, just talking about because I kind of, you know, put a little more uh, emphasis on these, you know, third, fourth line guys because we went out and made the additions to help fill out the bottom of this and have better forward depth than we talked about in our preseason episodes about having better forward depth. But I agree with you that, um, I mean, if this team's going to be uh, gunning for a playoff spot come March, April, then they are absolutely going to have to have that top line production as well as the depth scoring, because that's what good hockey teams do. <laughs> yeah. And that's exactly what you need to do. Um, <laughs> you know, you can't, you can't go into this just one scoring threat line. It has to be two or three lines rolling at all times. I know you said earlier, you wanted four lines rolling and, you know, we haven't seen a Hawks team roll four lines in what feels like forever. Yeah, so, since like 2010. <laughs> yeah, since like 2010. Uh, you know, it, a little bit in 2013, a little bit in 20, 2015. But yeah, yeah. It, it's, it's a little bit different right now because you don't have the same level of talent. And they're going to have to get by on nights where one line's just not being consistent enough or not producing enough chances this is going to this is going to take a little bit of of a mix and match approach here and you know it, it's not the prettiest but Jonathan Taves has all the talent in the world and like you said he he's a special player he's going to figure out at some point and he's going to break out of whatever little slump he's in and let's be real we're we're not even past the 10 game mark in this season this is a blip on the radar for him if he can get yeah. it going this is this is not even going to be a problem yeah, just one thing that I wanted to uh, just uh, add in for a possible fix here, and it may not, you know, we talked about, you know, finding consistency with his line mates, and that's all true. But I also think something that could help 
uh, just overall, I think it could help almost every line is when Alex Dabrinkit really finds that like rocket shot, you know, precision accuracy. And he just becomes such a threat that you need to almost, you know, shadow him more. And then you pay less attention to a guy that would be in the middle. So maybe if an Alex Dabrinkit does move up with a Jonathan Taves at some point, um, you never know. Uh, I just feel like, you know, think about teams that have snipers and Patrick Line for the Winnipeg Jets, uh, Alex Ovechkin, obviously the most notorious one uh, for the Washington Capitals. I feel like that'll just open up a lot more space towards the middle since you're guarding a wing heavier. Yeah, I, I think that would be effective. Uh, Johnny, I want to get into the 5-4 loss to San Jose because <clears throat> I, felt like that was a, I, I felt like that was a very winnable game. Extremely winnable, extremely winnable, but they decided to uh, take the second and third period off. Yeah. And and so I'm going to exclude the game in Prague from this, but the San Jose and Winnipeg game both had the same type of feeling. And we talked about this a little bit on Blackhawks on tap. And, And after the San Jose game, we said they're starting to write a script for themselves. And you wrote an article and I want you to talk a little bit about it. Because mm-hmm. I think it's important when we talk about the Edmonton game about what changed. And that was the second period was absolutely dreadful for the Blackhawks. And there was never really any recovery until the last two or three minutes of the game when they started to press. So I want you to talk a little bit about what you wrote, your theory behind it, and it, basically the changes that they made to actually play a consistent game against Edmonton. Yeah, sure. So uh, on October 13th, I wrote an article over at ontapsportsnet.com titled Slumping in the Second, a trend that needs to turn around. And my whole basis behind this was taking a look at the Blackhawks' second period efforts when it comes to Corsi, which is, you know, a possession metric. Uh, If you have the higher than 50%, you're controlling the puck more uh, than the other team is. And then scoring chances for, obviously scoring chances, got to have them to score goals here. So I had compared the first periods and I had broke this down kind of into three segments and one was fine first periods. Uh, we're going to exclude the Philadelphia game because that was definitely some uh, first uh, game rust. So from that San Jose game in the first period, 57.58 Corsi four, uh, and they had 42.42 Corsi against 14 scoring chances for five scoring chances against a lot of that was driven by that David camp, uh, Dominic Kubelik and Brandon sod line. And then in the second period, they would fall off to a number like 226.47 Corsi for 30, uh, excuse me, uh, 73.53 Corsi against six scoring chances for 13 scoring chances against. And then that trend continued again in the Winnipeg game when they had 40, 57.14% Corsi for and 42.86 Corsi against in the first period. Not bad. You're controlling the puck more. Eight scoring chances, four, six against. You still have a two two uh, scoring chance advantage there. Then in the second period, they completely let Winnipeg back into the game despite having a two-goal lead. You would think that would set the tone for the game. I'd also included that as part of the article. But instead, in the second period, they let Winnipeg dominate. 35.71 Corsi four percentage and uh, 64.29 Corsi against. 
two scoring chances for, eight scoring chances against. They let Winnipeg completely flip the script and then some against them on Saturday night, and it obviously resulted, uh, kind of carried over into the third period. Third period was, I will give them credit in that one, was a little bit more even, but they didn't do nearly enough to attack, even though because they still had a one-goal lead. Winnipeg only got one in that second period. So I basically just laid out all these numbers, and then my takeaway was what needs to change? Everything really, mentality, effort level, execution, um, coaching staff at the first intermission needs to be preaching attack, attack, attack. Uh, Guys can't be complacent, and then they need to receive, internalize the message, and then, you know, implement it on the ice and doing that by uh you know win board battles support each other in their own zone manufacture clean breakouts and make crisp passes in the offensive zone so that was my uh, call to action for the blackhawks and they took care of that uh in this edmonton game on monday night tone that that was the basis behind my article i'd seen a bad trend developing and i was happy to see them write the ship on monday night well thank you for the breakdown there johnny and this is something like like i said you and i dug into this and talked about them writing their script for how bad these second periods were. And, you know, one of the things I wanted to ask you real quick, do you think the Hawks are doing this thing again where they play up to the level of their opponent or down to the level of their opponent in in big games, nationally televised games, like the one that they had in Prague? Um, I know it wasn't nationally televised, but it was was a special game. Um, They seem to just kind of shit the bed there. Because you, you look at the game against Edmonton. This is an undefeated team coming in here. The Hawks showed up for it. You know, Winnipeg, not exactly the same team that they've got, they've had over the past few years. Dustin Bufflin still on the personal leave. They're kind of floundering through things right now. Not exactly the greatest team. I know San Jose, they're a good team. But, you know, first game at home, you know, kind of playing down a little bit to their opponent. Yeah, and even not when really it should have been a more hyped up, up game. Yes, exactly. Do you think that they're starting that kind of trend here? Because that's a little worrisome to me as well. Um, I mean, I first of all, I think the sample size is a little bit too small. But when you're talking about the examples that we do actually have, then, yeah, it certainly does seem like it. Because Edmonton's coming in 5-0. and um, I know they were at the end of a uh, road trip there for them. But still, I mean, they, they were rolling. They had guys just, uh, you know, lighting the lamp. And I know a little bit of that may have been due to um, higher-than-expected output from guys like James Neal. He also scored four goals in one game, so that really beefs up someone like his stats. But, you know, Connor McDavid's always, I mean, he's arguably, now the best player in the National Hockey League just overall. I think we've gotten to that point to where Sidney Crosby wore that crown for so long that we're getting there. Um, so it, it could be a matter of that because obviously this is their best effort and that uh, came on Monday night against an Edmund team like this and uh, it is definitely worrisome if this does continue tone but I think these next I would say four to six games will be the real determinant of that. Yeah, just a trend I'm watching, Johnny, and that's the only reason I bring it up. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and whereas, you know, th- that's kind of a, uh, I definitely agree with you by the eye test, definitely looks like it, but I think we're going to have to see what happens when they play teams at the top of their division here. Um, what's going to happen when they play against a Colorado who's on fire right now and at 10 points already, Nashville, St. Louis, and Winnipeg. Obviously, we've already seen them against Winnipeg, but all those teams are the ones above them in the central division. I really want to see how they fare against them. Will they get up for the game? Um, and then also I want to see how they fare against, 
teams that are, you know, at the bottom of this thing. Uh, like, I, I don't know when they play the Devils, but hell, like, if, if they played them, would they play down to that level? Because uh, the Devils have been brutal to start the year. So um, I think we're going to need a little more uh, disparity on either end to really determine if this is a trend yet. But uh, definitely something to look out for. And um, I would, uh, you know, just take this one with a little bit of a grain of salt. That would just be my two cents on it. All right, let's keep rolling through some of these observations that we've had here, Johnny. Um, what do we got next? Um, all right, so there's some surprises. I had mentioned his name earlier, uh, Alexander Nylander. Um, he is, uh, you know, he, he's got two goals already, but he only played 820 of ice time on uh, the game that he scored a second goal, and that was on Monday night in the win. And uh, that ends up being the game-winning goal. We, we talk about, you know, game-winning hits over on Sox on Tap, and I kind of derived that from talking about game-winning goals since that's always uh, kind of pointed out in the hockey world. So it uh, ended up being the game-winning goal for him. Uh, and I just I thought that with his limited minutes, I wanted to bring this up because I thought with his limited minutes and how much Colin was, you know, uh, shielding him from the ice, uh, just kind of like didn't want him to be a liability out there. It was almost a foregone conclusion at the end of the second period that, oh, this guy is going, you know, he's headed west to Rockford and Kirby Doc should be up soon. And then he goes out and scores that goal. And it's like, well, is he going to stick on that fourth line now? Are they going to baby him or are they going to let him play again? Um, the, I don't know. What, what are your thoughts on Alexander Nylander so far? Because I just think it's a very interesting case. Well, you know, and you brought up another good question that we're going to get into here right after that because I want to talk about it. Um, but my observations with him are it it's selective. It's almost, you know, it's almost as if he had the narrative kind of written for him when he arrived here just based on his past history that this guy doesn't hustle. He doesn't go for the loose puck. He's not going to go to the corners. He's soft. And there's times where he shows some flashes where you can really see, like, he gives a shit right now, and he wants to he wants to make the play. And then there's other times where you're like, I can see exactly where people say why he's soft, why he's not exactly um, uh, cut out to be in the NHL. There, there's definitely been some flashes of both. And I think that's why Jeremy Carlton has shielded him, because he's seen the same thing that we've seen. And the, the nice part about shielding him is – and I think Carlton even said it today was that, you know, he, it allows him to focus a little bit more when he's out there. And I don't know if it's so much of a focus thing as it is just, you know, if he's afraid or if he's scared or if he just doesn't want to, you know, get get lit up on the ice. Or, you know, it could be a focus thing where he's out there and you're giving him if you're giving him 16 minutes, you may not get the most effective use out of him. I kind of look at this as. A utility player in baseball, Johnny. You know, your favorite player, Luray Garcia, a guy that can come out there. And if you limit him from being a, you know, 500 at bat guy and say you give him 300 at bats, he's going to make the most out of those. That can be an effective player on an NHL team. I know it's not baseball. It doesn't exactly translate over because it's, it's harder to shield people when you want to have four lines rolling and you want to, you want to get you know, guys, some rest on the bench and you want to kind of spread out the ice time. But if you're going to give Nylander eight minutes and he's going to go put up a goal for you, you know, somewhat consistently, and you've got guys that can carry the load, I think he can be a really effective tool for this team uh, just because he does have so much talent and he can find the back of the net. Um, he's not exactly your worst option at this point in time. 
I really like that analysis tone. So uh, thank you for giving that. I, I kind of want to give the um, uh, other second part of this that I had also hinted that that people were kind of calling that, oh, this would be Kirby Doc's time. And then now um, I think Kirby Doc is still going to get a few more games in um, Rockford. I know he can only be there for a certain amount of time, but I feel like they will maximize that pretty much to the end. Uh, because think about this guy um, getting up to NHL speed after only playing in you know development camp or uh, excuse me, not even development camp the or yeah no it was the prospect development camp um and then he had the uh tournament that he played i think three games in and then in that third one Mm -hmm. was when he uh suffered that concussion so getting back up to speed uh playing against you know they talked about he's playing against men in rockford yeah you know there's a lot of former uh or guys that are just back and forth between the nhl and ahl there so um for as far as Kirby Doc replacing Alexander Nylander, I'd say pump the brakes because uh, they probably want to get a little bit more of a look uh, at Kirby Doc there. And the AHL schedule is weird. Um, you know, they, they'll play, uh, you know, back to back on weekends. They'll play like a Friday, Saturday, and then they'll be off until like, you know, Thursday or something. So um, the, I'd have kind of like the Hawks schedule this year. <laughs> yeah, so far, at least um, that's it, been annoying. I wish it was a little more consistent, but uh, it looks like we'll finally be getting into that um, a little bit more coming up here. But um, I would say a few more spins around in Rockford for Kirby Doc. That, that is just my take on it. So uh, I think you covered the Nylander part of it perfectly, though. Um, I really like that analogy to the, um, the utility type of player in baseball. Yeah, I, I, I really think that, you know, he, he possesses some talent. It might not be a complete NHL player, but the scoring ability, the, the stick handling, everything that's right there, that offensive ability, if you can utilize him the right way, he can be effective. And I think that's, that's kind of where I was going with that. But um, the one question that I had for you is when Kirby Doc is ready right now, Who's off this team? Who's off this roster? Who who's gonna who's gonna who's gonna be going back to Rockford? Who who might wind up on waivers? What do you think? Because I'll give you my take real quick first. My original standpoint to this and thought was it's gonna be Camp. It has to be because he's the one guy that didn't belong, you know, on that mm-hmm. roster. When you just look at it on paper, and so far Camp's been very effective. So yep. I don't know who it's gonna be. You've seen Perlini kind of just get the short end of the stick and be in the, the Jeremy Colleton doghouse, which is, I think, if if you're in Jeremy Colleton's doghouse, that's got to be like 50 times worse than being in Coach Q's doghouse. Um, <laughs> yeah. But, you know, I, I don't know who it's going to be right now because, yeah. you know, you, you've got some effective centers on this team right now. Jonathan Taves has it on lockdown. Uh, Dylan Strom, I guess you can move him to a wing, but you're not going to get rid of Dylan Strom. Uh, Camp has been, you know, he he beat Jonathan Taves in ice time the other night, and then you know you've got uh, Zach Smiths and and a few other guys. Shock could take faceoffs. You got a, you got a few other guys out there who are very effective at center. And, and you know where where do you fit Kirby Doc in here? Is he going to play wing? Is he going to take a winger spot? Because you've already got what's seemingly an excess of wingers. Where does Kirby Doc fit out on this team? And who's who's going to get the short end of the stick here? Yeah, I mean, that is a great question. And before, you know, I 
probably would have said Alexander Nylander. And honestly, he's probably the best candidate for it um, because, you know, Brendan Perlini, if you're letting him go, he'd have to go on waivers and he would most certainly get claimed. And then it's like, why the hell did you even sign him in the first place as a restricted free agent? Obviously, it seemed like there was difficulty in getting that whole thing even done because, uh, you know, it took so long, whereas everybody else seemed to be uh, already situated in their contract. And Brendan Perlini was the very last one uh, of that group. So I, I don't know if they really dislike him that much, maybe it would be, but you would imagine that they would like to trade him, uh, even if you're just getting picks or something back. Um, so I don't know if it would be him. Uh, right now, I'd still, if you had to give him most probable, probably Alex Nylander, just for some of that inconsistency. Maybe they see if he can uh, be more effective. Uh, and I know he had plenty of those stints with, with the Buffalo Sabres, uh, going back and forth between Buffalo and Rochester. But um I think that's just still the most likely one. You, you can't boot camp uh, when that's one of your most effective lines. Yeah, I mean, that's that's going to be tough. Uh, you know, and, and this doesn't make any sense, but is it Slater Cuckoo? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, if everybody's healthy and you want to get him in there for a few games and, and figure it out, kick the ball down the road a little bit, is it Slater Cuckoo who goes? Yeah, I mean, you, you got to think uh, defenseman injuries, uh, I would guess that they still keep an insurance policy there obviously since Carl Dahlstrom's gone um so I, I don't know man I don't I don't you saw with Dennis Gilbert obviously they thought he was the most ready uh to take that final spot when it was available in game one and we saw how that turned out so uh even though Slater Cuckoo wasn't great by any means you probably still need an insurance policy there so I would highly doubt that he's the one to go tone yeah, I'm. I'm just. I'm trying to pick out the guy who I feel like is not up to par, and he's the only one. And it's. I mean, you talk about insurance policy there, and that makes a lot of sense. But I. I really don't know at this point in time who gets the. Uh, who gets the boot if you're bringing Kirby Doc up, and I think that there's uh, a little bit more added fuel to the reason why you keep him down there as long as you possibly can, because it's really hard to, to determine. You know, who would have to give up a spot for him to even get a chance? Yeah, uh, I'm definitely with you there. It, it will be very interesting to see, and it's kind of a, a you know head-scratcher at this point in time. Uh, one thing on Kirby Doc, I just did pull up the Rockford Icehawks schedule. Uh, they have a home-and-home home with the Chicago Wolves coming up Friday, Saturday night. So uh, still in the area, still right here. Um, I would imagine he'll play in both of those. That, that would be my guess. And then um, the, the time will tick down on this thing because the Rockford Icehogs do not play again until that following weekend, the 25th and 26th at Cleveland. So um, it'd be interesting to see, I would say at least two more spins around with the Icehogs. So, you know, with that said, there's a few guys out there that we just kind of named when we were going through this, where those are the guys you're going to have to keep an eye on. And if they have some bad games, they're probably the, the guy to go. Yeah. Absolutely. So um, uh, let's let's move it along here uh, a little bit. Uh, let's talk about Eric Gustafson a little bit as we're on this back end topic. Um, I mean, the defense is just so brutal. Well, let's just start with that because it. You said it best. You said it multiple times on the show last year, and I agree with you. He looks like he's just a winger uh, stuck back there playing defense. But then even then, it's like the defensive ability and awareness is so poor that you probably wouldn't even want him on a wing, uh, backtracking and whatnot. So um, it, he does then, but you look at that, and the, the reason why he still holds a spot, and he will always hold a spot on an NHL team, is because he 
absolutely loves to move the puck. He absolutely loves to shoot the puck, and he generates a bunch of Corsi events for uh, whenever he's on the ice. Um, obviously, uh, the deficiencies can lead to plenty against, but um, he kind of makes things move, and uh, he plays on a top power play unit. So, um, Eric Gustafson, uh, what are your thoughts so far? You know, is it is it a meatball take if I go out there and I say I love every, I love every bit of his game? from the aspects that you just said right there, because, you know, name another defenseman out there who has that type of ability. And they're normally a a top pair guy because they, they actually possess some sort of defensive skill. You know, if you look around the league, I don't know if there was something that, that, you know, stunted his development in, in defensive ability. I don't know how he made it through as a defenseman, but it had to just be on offensive prowess. And that has to be the only reason why. And it, it just makes absolutely no sense to me. It makes no sense to me at all. How this guy made it this far as a hockey player, as a defenseman to get to the NHL without any defensive awareness you know what I mean? You just said it best. You don't even know if you want him on a wing because you don't know if he's going to blow some forechecks. And that's just mind-boggling to me because he can do so many positive things and then do so many negative things all in the same game to make you completely scratch your head and be like, what the hell just happened? You know, he's the guy that gets blown by and, you know, you give up the, the game-tying goal and then he goes out there and he's on the score sheet in overtime because you won it. You know, it, it's just, it makes zero sense to me. But the Hawks, and maybe this is the problem, that the Hawks don't have enough guys out there who are really solid top 4D guys that can kind of cover for a guy like Eric Gustafson. Because right now, I think if you're rating the Hawks defense, it's mediocre at best. Mm-hmm. Just on defensive ability. You know, if, if you had a really solid four D-men that could put you up towards the top of the of the league in defense on paper, I don't think Eric Gustafson is a bad play for your team. Because yeah. he he adds another element there. But I just don't think that there's enough right now to, to just make up for the lack of defensive ability that he has. And it's really easy for Hawks fans to hone in on it and be like, why is he out there? He he should not be on this roster. And like you said, there's reasons why he is and why he always will be. And it just puts the Hawks in such a bad position, I think, right now, because you've got this guy who should be, you know, if, if he's your sixth defenseman and he can add all that offensive ability and play on the power play and special teams, that that's a luxury. He's like a luxury item, but you can't afford it. You know, mm-hmm. and that that's what sucks about it is that you know, the Hawks are driving around in a Mercedes Benz, and they don't make enough money a month to you know pay the car note, and that really sucks because I think I think he can do some very special things. It's just you know we don't have enough in the bank to pay for it. 
Yeah, um, I, I wanted to read something really quick, and this is courtesy of Jimmy Greenfield, and uh, it was from one of his articles uh, while we're on Gustafson here. It says, since the start of last season, Gustafson has played 25 minutes or more 16 times. The Hawks are 1-12-4 in those games. They're 8-3 and three when Gustafson plays 20 minutes or fewer, including Monday's win. Um, I think what something that you had said, uh, we can kind of uh, make it a duality thing here, when you're talking about shielding Nylander a little bit or utilizing him just in spurts um that's kind of what it's going to have to be with Gustafson on the back end and it sucks that you have to really micromanage this but if you're going to get the results I'd mention that one win when he plays over that uh you know amount of minutes obviously there is a correlation there after that big of a sample size so um I think you could definitely see some of that going forward and I would imagine his he's still going to get his I would imagine uh, on the score sheet just because uh, he will no doubt about it get his power play opportunities and that's a place where you can really utilize him and then um, obviously got to have the right pairing together I think he and Dehan uh, obviously got to develop a little more chemistry uh, with your D pairs and Dehan didn't you know come into the lineup until Saturday but um, if, if they can work things out a little bit better and you can limit Gustafson's minutes to when he can be most effective then I think that is the best use of him going forward. Yeah, I go back to the conversation we just had about Nylander. Um, he's like a utility guy. you got to find a way to use him effectively. And, you know, uh, you can't have too many utility guys. You need guys that can perform consistently. And I think that's that's part of the problem with this team right now. Yeah, for sure. Um, so any other uh, bottom line sort of things before we get into our prospect report here? Bottom line, I think overall the message, if, if I'm Jeremy Carlton and I'm talking to this team right now, play consistently. Do what you did in your last game. Spread it out a little bit. Don't don't burn yourself out in the first period. I know these are finely tuned athletes. They're playing in NHL hockey. They should be able to play a full 60. But you need to do this consistently. You cannot lose focus in the second period, third period, and then try and turn it on and win games in the last three minutes. There's nothing more frustrating for me as a fan than watching this team go through the motions and just, you know, watch the whole second period in our own zone. And then for the last three minutes, look like one of the most dangerous teams in the entire NHL because you actually are giving a shit right now. Stop that. Spread it <laughs> out a help. little bit. Yeah, stop that. Get some help. <laughs> That's exactly what it feels like, though, because you know exactly what I'm talking about, Johnny. You know exactly what it is. Those last three minutes, you may not score. Sometimes they do. But the Hawks teams of old, and this may just be ingrained in some of their minds right now, you know, they're down by a goal in the last five minutes. You know damn well that they're going to put up enough offensive, you know, attack in order to get themselves back into a game. They don't have that ability to do that anymore. And those times are over. You have to be able to get a lead, establish it, hold it, and and win games. This come-from-behind shit at the end of the game does not play for this team. There's not enough skill. Yes, this is a better roster than you've had in quite a while, but it's still not up to par with some of the 2010-2013 teams where if you're down by a goal or two with 10 minutes left in the third, that you can, as a fan, sit there on the couch with drinking your beer, watching this game going, we can get back into this. It does not have the same feeling. You know 
that this team has to get on the board early and hold leads. The defense is not good enough to hold those leads. The goaltending is going to have to bail a lot of stuff out. So the defense has to get a little bit better. Forwards have to come back, pitch in on defense, get the puck possession back, and continue to drive the play. It's It sounds simple. I know it's a lot, diff, lot more difficult when you're actually out there on the ice, but just at least look like you're giving a shit, especially in the second period. It's going to go a long way. It did in their first victory. We need to see more of those types of efforts. All good points, Stone. Uh, I'll keep mine brief, just piggyback off you a little bit. Take this one, this Edmonton game I'm talking about, and build on it. Build on this effort. You'd mentioned the second period. If I'm going to go and uh, if I were to insert this into my article for a turnaround sort of thing, obviously it's only been one game, but 75% Corsi 4 uh, opposed to 25% Corsi against in the second uh, frame, and they outchance the Oilers 15-6. to six. Take that and build on it. <clears throat> and that also, a period like that, being so dominant in the second period, the numbers were completely flipped. Uh, 38.1% Corsi for uh, and 61.9% Corsi against, and they got outchanced 7-4 to four in the third period. A really solid second period like that can help you overcome it. So uh, that's just one thing that I wanted to point out there from a number standpoint. Take that one, build on it, because uh, you're going to have a uh, decent Columbus team rolling in. Uh, the Capitals, uh, always a dangerous team. And then the Knights, uh, they seem to love to fly around. Um, so uh, we'll get into those games a little bit more. But it is time to catch up on prospects really quick before we do a look at the week ahead tone. Um, I'm going to roll through these. The uh, Prospect report, right winger Michael Tepley. Uh, he was drafted this past uh, season. Uh, he is with the Winnipeg Ice of the WHL. Four goals, four assists, nine points in nine games. Um, defenseman Ian Mitchell, uh, someone that we've been really excited about, talked about a lot on this show. Uh, through just two games for Denver in their opening weekend, uh, he recorded two goals and two assists. So uh, uh, four points there for um, Ian Mitchell. Um, good to see that. And then um, left wing, Matthias Fromm, he is over in Sweden. Uh, he's got three goals, three assists, uh, good for six points in nine games. And uh, Evan Barrett, back to the college uh, side of things uh, for Penn State, uh, two assists uh, for good for two points in two games. And then another Big Ten guy, defenseman Josh S., uh, two assists as well through two games. And on the goaltending front, uh, a little bit of a rough start for Dominic uh, Basset, who was drafted this past year as well uh, for the Youngstown Phantoms of the USHL. Uh, 4.37 goals against average, 8.68 save percentage in four games. Um, but Alexis Gravel, he is playing uh, his last season with Halifax in the QMJHL. He has a 3.26 goals against average, uh, 901 save percentage in four games, and he was named Team QMJHL for their uh, Canada-Russia series that will take place next month. So a little bit of honor for Alexis Gravel there. Um, I'd watch him in development camp. Uh, de- definitely a fun one to watch, and he he will be solid. Uh, definitely someone to keep an eye on going forward here. Um, all right, Tone, uh, let's get a look at the week ahead. Like I had mentioned, the opponents coming up Friday night, 7.30, home game. Uh, pretty much all these are home games. Against Columbus, that's Marion Hosa bobblehead night. Hell yeah. Um, we got the Sunday night, 
the 20th of October against the Washington Capitals. One of those great 6 o'clock starts. Tony, you and I will be in attendance. I believe Patrick Comiskey will be able to get out to that one as well. Uh, so that'll be a fun one. Definitely look for some content from Four Feathers Pod on Twitter and Instagram there. And then uh, Tuesday night, home again against Vegas, 7.30 start. And Thursday night next week, home against the Flyers. So uh, what are you looking forward to in these upcoming stretch of games? Well, first off, Marion Hose is my favorite hockey player of all time. And if I can find a way to get over to Friday's game, I'm going to. Um, don't know if that's going to happen, but, you know, I'm sitting here staring at this poster of my favorite hockey player of all time and Marion Hose. And I think there's nothing better than them honoring him and that 2010 team with a bobblehead night. And then our guy, Dave Boland, who we had on the show um, just a few weeks ago, uh, getting his one last shift with the Blackhawks. I don't think there's, you know, those are probably my two favorite players that have ever played for the Hawks. Just, you know, uh, going back down memory lane, 17 seconds, what Bowen meant for, for both those teams, and then obviously Marion Hosa, uh, favorite Blackhawk of all time. Uh, this is just going to be a special game for anybody who gets out there, and I hope the Hawks can go out there and give that crowd on a Friday night a winner because you don't get many Friday night games. You don't get many Saturday night games at the UC. Johnny, you said it earlier. Those crowds are a little bit different. People don't have work the next morning. They're out there. They're drinking a little bit more, getting a little bit more rowdy and a little bit more excited about the game. I want to see a blowout victory here. I I absolutely, I need to see it. I want to see the Hawks, you know, go up, put five goals on the board because Damn, the fans deserve it right now. You know, you came out of, in this season and you started out very slow. You come, you get this victory here. I, I want to see, I want to see the full offensive firepower on display. You know, multiple goals for for Kaner. You know, get Taves on the score sheet. Just start rolling, and I, I want to see a blowout here. This is this is Columbus. We can do it here. This is this is exactly a game that you should win. You've got all the hype in the world around this game. You want to start bringing back those 2010 memories? No better way to do it than beating the shit out of Columbus. Yeah, I like that a lot. You'd mentioned, uh, obviously, I'm with you and Marion Hosa being my favorite hockey player of all time. So uh, that would be great to have one of those bobbleheads. Unfortunately, won't be able to make it to that one. But uh, you'd mentioned Dave Bullen, uh, one last shift. Uh, he will be getting honored with that before Friday night's game. So we, like Tony had mentioned, uh, we had Dave Bullen as a guest on. You can go back and find it, episode 31 of Four Feathers podcast, uh, wherever you listen to him. Go and find that if you want to get a little, uh, you know, backdrop on Dave Bullen inside of his you know time with the team obviously we broke down 17 seconds uh moment by moment uh celebrations all of that good stuff so uh go be nostalgic before that because we got this is wednesday night when we're recording this so uh you got you got thursday and then you got all day friday so uh get yourself amped up with episode uh 31 of four feathers uh interview with dave bullen so um the thinking about uh Sunday night, I'm really looking forward to that one, obviously, because we'll be there. Um, you know, Washington, I really, out of the Eastern Conference teams, Washington's one of my favorites to watch just because I love Alexander Ovechkin because slap shots, Tony, one-timers are cool and tough. Definitely cool and tough. Absolutely cool and tough. I, I think you said that best right there. Yeah. Um, and then you're going to get uh, 
some games where you probably have to mix it up a little bit. Uh, Vegas and Philly. Uh, we had obviously already seen Philly, and they look like they are a much better offensive team than they were last year. Um, those numbers have been, uh, you know, looking better for them uh, overall, even just past that first game when we played against them. Uh, so that's that Thursday night game against Philly and then Vegas, man. I always talk about if you go back and listen to any of the episodes from last year, I always said, you know, Vegas was just top to bottom, uh, just rolling. And I know there's been a few subtractions and guys like uh, Pierre Edward Bellamar. um, There have been some other guys, but there's still a really solid core there. Oh, and guess what? They have Mark Stone, who is just an absolute animal. So, um, you know, I would honestly like to see, I I really want to, curious to know what the goaltender uh, situation is going to look like. But if I were to predict it, I would probably say Crow again Friday night, uh, just from his performance on uh, Monday against Edmonton, probably gets a nod again. And I will get, you know, we need to call ourselves out. I know we had said it on Blackhawks on tap, but you and I were calling for Leonard in that Edmonton game. And obviously Crawford was the right move and he proved that to us. So um, good for Corey Crawford, but I would guess Crow Friday night, Leonard Sunday night, Crow again on Tuesday night, and then uh, we'll see how those games play out for uh, Thursday's decision. But uh, that's just my prediction for it. So, um, closing thoughts for episode 33 of Four Featherstone. Keep it rolling. I want to see a little bit of a win streak here. You, you've you played, I think, the least amount of games in the NHL right now, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I know Philly might be just like right there with you, but you look at the standings right now and the Hawks look like they're, they're way down in them and they didn't help themselves by losing the first three. This is a chance where you can start to stack up some points early. Go do it. Go prove to people that, you know, you does, you belong to be here, Jeremy Carlton and go prove Jonathan Taves that you're still one of the best players and best centers and captains in the NHL. Start it right now. You know, if you want to take this last victory and use it as a stepping stone to go out and and get yourself on a little bit of a win streak, I think this is the perfect opportunity to do so. Don't go back and revert to what we saw in those two games where you give up in the second period. Just let that be a little blip, a little, you know, butterflies, get them out of your system, start to the season, and go start playing some consistent hockey because – this team does have enough talent. You know, we, we, we all know it does. We know this is an improved roster over last year. If you, have, if you wind up having a very slow start to the season, it's really going to harm the mentality. And I don't want to be in that position, Johnny, come February, March, where we're sitting here talking about, well, we need to rattle off 10 wins and we can get into the playoffs. Start packing the points on now. I'm with you. Get get rolling. Get the ball rolling. Uh, No better way to do that, in my opinion. Um, I know after a win, you kind of want to play again fairly soon. Um, You know, keep things rolling, keep that uh, momentum, so to say, going. But uh, in this case, I do think that it would be beneficial for uh, guys like Connor Murphy and Kelvin DeHaan, who, you know, started on IR. And I don't know if they were, I doubt they were asked to come back prematurely at all. But even then, just takes a little bit to get the rust off. So I think a few extra days of practice, and uh, you know that'll help out with those guys' injuries. So that would be the one advantage to having another, you know, quite a bit of a layoff in between games here, uh, because they're going to start being more consistent um, as we get through this. Pretty much every other night, uh, starting next week. So um, like you'd said. Let's start a win streak. I'd love to see it and feed off the energy Friday night. That's my biggest thing. Don't, don't come out slow. Uh, Dave Bullen's going to be there for one more shift. 
play the game with a Dave Bolin mentality. There that's, you go. That's my final line for tonight. All right, everybody, thank you for tuning in. That was episode 33 of the Four Feathers podcast. Make sure you go into ontapsportsnet.com for all your Chicago sports literature and podcasting needs. Um, Tony, great talking Hawks with you tonight. Let's close it out how we always do. Let's go Hawks. Let's go Hawks. Hawks.